What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Art of Endurance. This is Eric Beach, your host, and I'm back with Adam Hill, elite Ironman triathlete, Kona World Championship qualifier, um, formerly sponsored by Cliff. And that's also my middle name. That's right. So it made sense. The one that doesn't make sense is my last name is Beach, and I live in landlocked Marshfield, Wisconsin. Well, that's why I think, I mean, we should just call this uh, podcast uh, Beach Starts and Hill Repeats. I know, because it makes sense from a training perspective and triathlon. We sure. little, little known fact, Adam and I were going to start a podcast. We had talked about it and stuff, and that was, it was a little bit wordy, but that would have been the name of it. So yeah. instead, what we're going to do is The Art of Endurance and have Adam on a bunch of times, and then you're going to be like... Oh, no, I'm honored to be here. I think, yeah. it's, I, I think it's awesome, so I appreciate you having me. Well, I, you know, I really appreciate your insight because sometimes, I don't know, sometimes it's just like you're talking to yourself and having someone, and I've said this to, to many people, you know, I have a nonprofit project, Echelon, where we help educate, equip, and empower veterans, and the whole Echelon concept is based on not doing life alone. It's, it's in, in cycling, you have an Echelon, which is a staggered formation. You see it in the Flying V. The lead goose, the lead rider is strong, and they're breaking up the, the wind that's coming in so that the riders can tuck behind them and not feel the, the brunt of that, and they can recover kind of, uh, not put forth the effort they needed to get through the wind, and then they rotate. When that guy gets weak, he goes to the back or she goes to the back and the next one comes. And it's just like a constant rotation. And that's what we like to do here with the art of endurance is the art of endurance really is how do you navigate life? And the key component is having people like Adam Hill who have done things that I've never done and may never do. I may never qualify for Kona in that way, but maybe after 12 of them, I do. It doesn't matter how I get there, but the fact is I have Adam. We're on the same team. And we can help each other when one of us is weak and strong, and, and it's a beautiful thing. Like that's whole thing with, with relationship, and it's so vital to this whole journey. So thank you for being part of this. Thank you. Uh, no, I, I feel the same way, and, and I'm, like I say, I'm honored to be here, and, and I, I, I consider it a privilege to, to be your friend and to have your influence in my life. Boom. You, you heard it here first. <laughs> I have influenced an elite triathlete. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that makes me super credible. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> so well, the last thing we had talked about, and I want to get into it a little bit because part of this is I want to, I want to talk about getting into sport a little bit. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into a couple pieces of it. But the first thing we had, we had talked about was getting inspired by something and then not being afraid to go do it and to not question that inspiration and try to talk yourself out of it because my perspective, and I want to get yours after I say it, is our minds, as unhealthy as we are, try to keep us in the same uh, homeostasis. The status quo must remain the same because we know we can survive it. And that could be really unhealthy behaviors, but your mind in an unconscious level is trying to keep you safe. So when you don't want to, when you talk yourself out of doing these things, it's your mind trying to keep you safe, even though you're incredibly unhealthy. So breaking that, you know, it starts with just taking actionable steps, sustainable steps. So what's your perspective on that? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, our brains are good in the fact that they do ch try to keep us out of trouble and they try to keep us safe. They, that's what the fear instinct is. That's what things like that. For some people, that instinct is muted a bit so they can jump out of planes, and <laughs> preferably with a parachute. Yes. Uh, or, or, you know, do things that are crazy extreme. Uh, for some people, it's exaggerated. Uh, for me in particular, uh, with a, a history with anxiety, 
uh, it's exaggerated with me. And a lot of times those fears are irrational. So it, it takes uh, working with it and, and, and uh, understanding and trying to remove yourself from your mind to be able to understand what's really a rational fear and what's, what's irrational and when it's safe to really push beyond fear and, and go anyway. Uh, it's one of the mantras, many mantras I try to use, which is just go anyway. Uh, I think we talked, touched on cold showers last time, mm-hmm. and I hate the idea of getting up in the morning. The last thing I want to do is just get in a cold shower, even if it's Southern California, 60 degree water. Uh, it still doesn't appeal to me, but <laughs> you know, the first thing I say is go anyway. And I don't let my brain, I don't let my brain get in my way. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I tell my brain that it's not the boss of, of me. It, uh, uh, I will not negotiate with it. I will just get in the water and, and do it. And every time I feel better afterwards. Yeah. And that's what I think one of the true powers of endurance sport. And I say endurance sport to mean anything that's going to be outside of strength and conditioning that lasts, I don't know, what you'd consider 30 plus minutes of, of doing something would be more endurance related. I could be wrong on that. But I think cycling, running, uh, triathlon, swimming, you know, all these things are endurance sport. And the thing that I've found is it becomes the perfect way to engage your mind into things it doesn't want to do. For me, you know, it was running up hills. I would quit at 90% of the way up just because I didn't want to finish it. And, and that was like a mental block. It was a real thing for me. But I have those in real life outside of, of sport. And like you going into a cold shower, I can run up the hill. I can push through that barrier. And all of a sudden, I can realize I'm capable of more than I, I thought I was because I've engaged this primal part of my survival instinct that really doesn't get brought up much in life because we do live, if we're in America, and you know, compared to you know, whatever you want, there's no saber-toothed cats trying to murder us. yeah we live (laughs) relatively we have safety you know i I think about birds this this person shared this with me that a bird literally has predators trying to kill it every second of the day and so they're always on guard and when i was at war uh, from i'm a army veteran and came back you know i was for a year of my life it was a real thing that someone was trying to kill me every day and that's a really easy thing to get ramped up and get wrapped up in. So when you come home to the safety of America where, well, the road's blown up zero times for me, whereas it blew up in Iraq only, well, twice, but that's two more times than I experienced in the 18 years of my life preceding that. But we can get so wrapped up in that bad stuff that happens that we forget that that's the minute parts of our life. And sometimes going into endurance sport is a way we can spar with all of that dirtiness that weighs us down in so many ways. And have you found healing from your own um, anxieties and fears uh, and maybe past traumas through endurance sport? Yes, 100%. And I think that you bring up a really excellent point with regard to being able to tackle those those fears and those those, those conceptions in a controlled and safe environment. Mm-hmm. Endurance sport gives that to us for the most part. Uh, you know, we, we can we can go out and we can go do something that pushes us beyond our limits, uh, what we believe is possible, and and it allows us to very safely, uh, you know, accomplish that. And when we achieve something that we didn't put our uh, when we when we didn't think uh, when we achieve what we didn't think was possible for ourselves. We expand the elasticity of our lives, and we, we, you know, we develop and we begin to question what else we can do. Uh, so, you know, since 
uh, I certainly didn't have any extreme traumatic event in the way you've experienced that that have you know that led me to my anxiety. That uh, but it has uh, as it developed over time. I I you know became afraid to to do much of anything, and that became my comfort zone. And so I just gradually began to atrophy within this this fear. Uh, and and I used to numb it with alcohol. Uh, and uh, and that. You know that led me down that uh, uh, that path. Uh, so getting into endurance sport, it really did push me to really expand the elasticity and uh, and and push beyond it more often. Yeah, and that's a an excellent point because we talked about comparison, and I want to just put this out there because when you're looking at your own trauma in your life, when you're looking at the own origins of your fear and anxieties, it's really important to not judge yourself and compare yourself to people who quote unquote had it worse than you. Cause there's always someone just like everyone's going to be, there's always going to be someone stronger, faster, better looking than you. There always will be. There's so many of us. There's always going to be someone who's had a worse experience in life, who's had worse hands dealt, but it doesn't change the fact that you have your experience, you made your key decisions when you were a child, you were bullied, or you were, whatever it is for you, those things are real to you. So you need to deal with those things. And the art of endurance is in part, a big part, is using endurance sport to spar with those pieces of yourself and to show you that you are worth more. You are capable of more, regardless of what it is you experience. It's not because Adam or Steve or, or Jessica had it worse than you, or you had it better than them. It's about what your experience is and challenging those core beliefs. So that's really important that we, I think we understand that because this is your journey. This is Adam's journey. This is my journey. And it's not, Adam and I don't sit here and say, you know, Adam having a hard day and then Adam does never respond. Oh, geez. That's, I wish. I wish that was my problem. God, thanks for making me seem like, you know, we never do that with each other. We might be honest and say, I'm feeling depressed because of this. I'm feeling anxiety because of this. But we don't say, you shouldn't feel that way mm-hmm. you honor yeah. the emotion and you you hold the space that's why we have to do these things together anxiety it's 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 something that whether it's brought on by an event or bro- whether it's just whether it's uh, uh, brought on by a, a circumstance or or whether it's just genetically predisposed it doesn't matter because it does exist and you're exactly absolutely right we all have to we all have to work through it in, in our own way that's the beauty of say triathlon. If you look at people that are racing an Ironman, there's so many people crossing that finish line that are overcoming their own challenges. Uh, people with missing limbs, people who have uh, 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 struggled with cancer, veterans who have, who have been through war, uh, uh, and, and so, many, so many beautiful stories. And that's the amazing part of it, is we all find camaraderie in overcoming our own personal challenges through this, through this similar uh, outlet. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I love about the beauty of it is the fear that comes with it. Like I'm afraid of swimming. I'm afraid <laughs> I, I'm still confident every, every time, like it, it, no matter where I am, there is a monster in the seaweed. It's almost worse when I can see everything. I thought it would be better if I could see the, the floor of the lake or whatever I'm swimming in. It turns out it's worse because <laughs> I see everything now and now I can't even put a filter over, but I love the fact that the first thing I have to do in triathlon is the thing that scares me the most because that's every situation for me in life that I limit myself with. I think you talked about that, the cold shower. It's, you have to start your day with the thing. It's, it's called eating the frog. I think I heard someone say it. Like if, the, if you eat a frog the first time you get up in the morning, the first thing you do, nothing's going to be worse than that experience. And so <laughs> there's, there's beauty in all of it. And I want to jump into this because I don't know, it might be controversial, 
but it's my experience and I've heard it many times and I think there's a misconception and this is specific to, to cycling and triathlon. When I wanted to start, there was a cost prohibitive element to training and I eventually went out and I said, Hey, I really want to do this. Can someone help me? Uh, and I got 70 bucks donated to me so I could do my first sprint. It's $70 for a race entry. That's a lot of money, and, and, and I understand that. And you have to have a bike. And bikes aren't cheap, but they can be as expensive or cheap as you want them. But a lot of people avoid because they get to that price tag, and they say, oh, well, they're looking for a way out. That's, I can't do it. It's impossible. That $800. Like, there's no way I could afford to spend it on this. Like when you hear that kind of, uh, of logic to avoid something that could be incredibly healthy for you, what, what goes through your head? Well, my initial thought is I can, I can relate because that was always my argument as well. It's like, well, I can't afford to buy a $2,000 bike right now. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to buy a $2,000 bike. There's plenty of $500 bikes out there that are, that are just fine. Uh, and even, uh, you know, less expensive bikes that you can get or rent, uh, to complete a sprint triathlon or, or anything like that. Um, but, uh, but let's just say for the sake of argument, $2,000 bike, uh, and then, you know, you have to have a place to swim. So probably a place at a, at a pool, uh, uh, or, or the ocean or, or a lake or what have you. Um, so, but pretty much the bike is the most cost prohibitive part of it, that and, and race entries. Uh, but so, so I can relate to that. I, I used to have that feeling, but when you take a step back and you look at it, and you think of just getting healthy and fit in general, uh, and you compare that to other areas of life where you're spending equal amounts of that money or more, uh, how many people do you see driving around fancier cars than they actually need mm. to get to a place that they don't want to go, work, to, uh, and, and that's their pride and joy? You know, we spend our money where we want to focus our, our attention. And, you know, I've developed into a person that I would rather be driving a car that's that's duct taped together than to sacrifice my uh, really nice bike because I'm spending hours and hours and hours a week on my bike and I really really enjoy that and it gives me tons of fulfillment it keeps me healthy it keeps my medical costs down so my med uh, you know so so healthcare uh, for me is going to be much less in the long run uh, presumably because I'm much healthier now uh, so so, it, you know, the, there's not really an argument there to say uh, in the long run that that triathlon is too expensive because it, it, it doesn't. And if, if getting a bike is too expensive, you know, a pair of running shoes you can get for under $100 and there, you're done. Be a runner. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to hear. And it's it's because it's true. I know it was for me, too. I can make excuses. And I think that is where it's really hard to help someone get into something. And I want to say two points about it, that you have to be willing to look at yourself and the choices that you make and how you prioritize your life. And no one likes to be told that. The only way you can hear that is if you choose to hear it. But it is true. And I think the second point is if you look at USA Triathlon, you look at the articles, I've seen a lot that focus on the and, – and, and to me this becomes 100% instead of the, the average – the average um, income for a triathlete is, I think it said, $135,000 a year. That's not me. You know, like, and, and that is the average, and that's a real statistic. But I want to know 
like how much of that is a self-fulfilling prophecy? Because I've I've gone to sprints in Wisconsin and people are on huffies. You know, they're just pedaling away and having fun, but they stop there knowing maybe it's oh it's too elite, you gotta be a doctor or a lawyer, some some really wealthy person to get into Iron Man. I can't waste that money, you know, so I'm gonna stay here. But I wonder how many of those people are self-limiting based off of the finances and what stories are out there and who's doing these things that they think that they can't be part of it and dream bigger. I think that's definitely a lot of it because uh, you could spend, I, I, I get the feeling that, that anybody who's out there, regardless of, of income, you know, uh, income levels and things like that will spend money on something that makes them happy. Uh, that's just, that's just a fact of, of the matter, whether it be uh, uh, working out or booze or, you know, uh, cigarettes or, or what have you, um, you know, when people get accustomed to something or addicted to something or anything like that, and maybe I'm going off of, on a tangent here, you know, they'd be willing to spend, you know, hundreds of dollars a month to feed that habit. I know that from personal experience. Yeah, sure. Um, and so, you know, get, so from going from that where I was doing something that was incredibly unhealthy and spending a lot of money to do it, to support it, to, you know, to, to going into triathlon wasn't, wasn't that cost prohibitive for me. Uh, but, um, but I think, I think there's, it's, it really does come down to a mindset. Uh, and yeah, I think it's true. Yeah. It, it is easier for, uh, from a financial standpoint for doctors or lawyers to, or executives to get into Ironman. But, you know, it's also difficult because those, those people also have busy uh, or have busy lifestyles. Um, and that's another key element, um, you know, that we could get into at some point, which is the, the other excuse people use, which is I don't have time, mm -hmm. which is, you know, pardon my French, but a total bullshit argument. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a really good point too, because I think you look at, uh, the ease for this person to do it financially and the challenge of it being they're busy. But I think we can also say it's easy for a type A personality to do it. I'm I think I'm a closet type A personality person. I, I'm very specific in what I'm type A about, but I'll find every excuse to not train. You know, so if 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 I'm going to look at it from that perspective, I know I had the time. Yeah. But I have to be honest with myself in knowing: Do I want it? Do I really want it? Do Do I want it so bad because it's going to make me look great on Facebook or Instagram when I'm you know finishing the the race? Is it because I want the body? type like what is it that I really am telling myself I want and am I willing to put in the work and at this point in my life I'm not you know I'm, I'm very honest with that like but I certainly need to train because with addiction you know even if you're not an addict you still get a Pavlovian response to whatever mm -hmm. whatever habit you've developed if it's cigarettes you know this psychologist I forget his name he talked about if you go into a cave you're gonna find a bear and what that means is if you quit smoking, you quit drinking, whatever it is, and for me, you know, I quit cocaine. If I went today, drove back to the city I lived in where I used to do it, and I drive past my dealer's house, 100% chance I'm going to get that urge. Mm -hmm. It's going it's, to, it, my brain remembers, my amygdala remembers what this street means to me. And it's going to give me that dopamine rush to be like, hey, yes, 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 do the thing, do the thing. Remember? And mm -hmm. so... We can transition that to fitness. We can get that same 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Do the, do, the, do the thing. If we come back to it and we start to see the positive and we train in a healthy way and we don't listen to the self-limiting beliefs, you know what I mean? And I don't know if that's yeah, – what has, has that transition occurred in you that makes you almost hungry for, for training? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's to the point where, where when you get to the off-season and you're really, really looking forward to that, that finishing the race so you can get a box of donuts. By the time <laughs> I get to the donuts – I'm like, well, you know, I, <laughs> I, I really shouldn't be doing this because, you know, I, I, I got to start getting ready for my next mm-hmm. you know, race or, or when I take the off season, it gets, it gets difficult. I'm actually on the opposite end of the spectrum. Now I have to force myself to take those breaks because that's a healthy thing to do. Once you get too involved in the sport and I've seen it tons of times with a type personalities that are in the sport and they just say, oh, I'm going to do an Ironman a month. And I'm going to, you know, really rock it. And they, you know, and then they keep going and then they burn out super quick. And I could be guilty of that. And I could get, I could, you know, uh, you can do some major damage that way. So it's important to, to when you finish to take a step back and do something completely different. Mm. I have gotten so much done around my house. Um, if I were to turn the camera over to, over my shoulder here, you would see that I'm redoing the floors right now mm. because it's still my off season. <laughs> so I can accomplish things when it's the off season and, and, uh, and then get back into it and feel totally invigorated and, and want it again when I, when I'm ready to get back. So speaking of that with addiction, and I think I, I believe that it's easier for an addict to get into triathlon and be really good at it because that same, uh, addiction, anxiety, fear, whatever it is can be like you say, a superpower that they can just funnel into it. What's the risk of just pouring everything and everything is triathlon to you. Is it damage to family? Is it now it's become an addiction and you'll hate the sport? Like what, what would happen if you didn't get away from the fire that you're touching that's helping you? Well, yeah, if you're not doing it in a healthy way, if you're not acknowledging the fact that you're just, you have a, a, a disorder. I mean, I've met plenty of people, uh, you know, who have, uh, you know, who burned out on triathlon and who still continue to do it. And they, they lead unhealthy lifestyles or they get back into drinking. I mean, it's, it's a lot of the same thing that, that happens with any, anything. You can spend too much money on it. You can, you can buy, uh, uh, you know, you can, you can, you know, bring yourself into bankruptcy. I don't see it very often because I think there's just a natural uh, uh, healing that happens when you get into the sport and you start to understand yourself better. Um, so I don't see it a lot, but I think if you don't keep the addictive personality in check, you know, you may just, you may just make it a dangerous, uh, a dangerous thing as well. It's just not, not that often that I see it. I just see it as more of a healing yeah, activity. I agree with that. And in the non-addicted personality, like I know that I have my past with, uh, abusing substances and, and things of that nature. I think for me, when it comes to triathlon and training, and I think a lot of people too, is you get a bad taste in your mouth with it. And, uh, sometimes that's because you overtrained and mm-hmm. it's important to take a break. Otherwise you're going to start to associate the negative feelings towards that sport. So just yes. as much as it is for the addict, it's also for the other person to really become aware. That's why I love endurance sport is you become ac- acutely aware of what goes on in your own process in your head. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, it's, it's important to identify that during, throughout your training process, there are seasons. I mean, there are seasons of life. There are seasons of, of, uh, of, of training. And those seasons can be uh, over the course of just one training season or many training seasons. You know, there's a season of training uh, at the beginning where it's important to, 
to really focus on heart rate and and uh, Maffetone method, aerobic endurance, things like that. And there's a season where it's important to focus on on you know developing into your absolute best and not looking so much at data and things like that. So it's important to recognize that, and it's important to also know those seasons that are telling you to back it off and to you know start start uh, uh, healing your mind and not just running away from it. Uh, there's a really cool quote I heard the other day that that um, uh, that may be relevant here. That's that the mind is the place that your soul goes when you're when it's hiding from your heart, and so we have to be careful not to get into our own minds and remember where our passions are taking us, um, and that that includes thinking we're doing the right thing with continuing on with the sport when we should be backing off. Have you had any experience with that? Not maybe like right now, but in the in the past, where you could maybe speak to how you saw that in your own self. Yeah, I uh, uh, over the last season. So it's been a couple of years since I've done an Ironman. I did. I qualified for Kona, and that was my dream, and I achieved that dream, and and it was it was amazing, and it's still an experience I I you know really uh, proud of. Uh, after that, I, I was a little bit lost because I achieved that dream and I didn't really know where I wanted to go. So my mind was going, well, I've got to go do the next thing, maybe Ultraman, do this. But I'd signed up for a couple more Ironmans and those Ironmans that I did uh, following that, I didn't perform as well. I was like, you know, uh, 10% uh, uh, slower than I was in when I was when I was in perfect shape, even though I had the same training protocol. And really it's because, you know, when I did some self-reflecting on it, I realized just my heart wasn't in it. I was in it for because my mind told me that this is what I have become and this is what I need to do. And so recognizing that, I backed off. I didn't do an Ironman last year. And the, the price I'm paying for it now is I see everybody who's posting there, I'm AWA gold, I'm AWA. <laughs> I'm like, I don't get to be that this year. But you know what? It's it's fine. I, I, I go in you know next year and I start again and I'm passionate about it. And I'm excited to do some new races this year. I'm excited to PR. I've got a great new coach, and uh, I'm I'm super stoked to to get started and, and and test my limits again this year and see what I can achieve. So uh, so it's good to take those breaks because you come back more passionate than ever, and uh, and the house is clean when you do it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's a good point because you know especially for guys like us, uh, we're not pro athletes we're not getting paid to do this so it's like you can take that time off unlike you can with a job like you can only take so much time away from your job but endurance sport is one of those things that if you're like us and aren't uh you know Jan Frodeno uh he can't take time off yeah and I'm really curious right. how that works because not that you would know but I know that you went to uh, a triathlon camp and mm. met some of those pro level athletes and spent some time and has, does that same thing occur to them because that's their livelihood and mm -hmm. i wonder if you have any insight into that well i think it, it ties back into the conversation we just had about you know finances and let me ask you man how many rich tri professional triathletes do you know how many super wealthy like uh professional triathletes are there out there uh yeah, I don't know. Not I mean. very many. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. There's, there's not. I mean, it's, it's not a very lucrative sport for professional triathletes. And so when, when we say, oh, I don't have enough money to do it, no, there's a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at the, look at, look at all of the, and, and you're looking at the tip of the spear. You know, who are getting sponsored and things like that. There's, there's 
an entire uh, element of professional triathletes out there that are living on a shoestring, that are managing themselves by by being resourceful, and anybody can do that. And and by the way, they have day jobs too. Yeah. And it's it's amazing to see the dedication that these people put in uh, to uh, to achieve their dreams and to and to get you know not not as much reward as they could for it. Um, and so, so there, there's a, uh, so there's something to be said for that, uh, that if there, if there is a, a will and there's, if there, and more so than will, if there's discipline, there's a way. Um, I think, uh, uh, so I think professional athletes, uh, have a lot to be admired for because of all of that, that, that they have to, uh, to contend with. Yeah. And I think we look at them as, you know, must be nice to be sponsored mm -hmm. by Nordic track or, 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 you know, Argon 18 or, or whatever company, cause they get the brand new stuff they get, but that's, that's all tools for them. You know, where yeah. we have to spend for, so, but that doesn't really matter. It, it doesn't equate to them being, you know, rich. It's just, they were given something cause it's their profession. And the first triathlon I ever did, there was a pro triathlete and pro triathletes don't mean uh, Ironman triathlete. It means that this is how I make the majority of my money. And mm -hmm. the one that guy was there it was a sprint triathlon. He had just done a sprint the day before and won it. And he was picking day after day, week after week, these little ones so he could make $500. So he came to this sprint, won, made 500 bucks, packed up, and he had done it the day before and was going to another place two hours away just so he could race again in one that he knew he could because he needed to pay his bills so he could take shots at those bigger races that wouldn't pay him out. And oh, that's, yeah, yeah. It's crazy to think about that. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, yeah, you think about the best of the best in the sport and, you know, the biggest payout is obviously, uh, well, there's a few, there's obviously a lot of races on the IT circuit, like the, the things that are, that are, uh, uh, and I'm not sure how the pay scale works. The only one on the big scale that I know of that, that's a, that's a decent payout is, is obviously Kona and imagine having to try to win there. I mean, that's always, always, uh, uh I mean, that's such an elusive uh, race. Yep. It's rare to see people do repeats there. Um, and as we've seen in, in many years, I mean, it's a lot, a lot of times it, it takes, uh, it takes a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, this is one more piece. And, and I don't, the reason I'm talking about elite sport, elite athletes is just because I think it's important for people like myself who aren't elite just to understand that these people are mortals and they struggle with their bills. Just like all of us, it's not like they're magical unicorns that just they're aliens like roberto uh from quest for kona would say i i love that they're they're not human but they are they are incredibly human so it's important for us to realize that they are they just have a different different pace of their training and different focus and different reasons just like we all have our different reasons yeah um, but with <laughs> with what i learned in france was that even with elite triathletes just because you're racing in America and know what elite triathlon is, if you go to Europe <laughs> and race with those guys, we know some elite triathletes in Europe that were like, dude, come over here and you'll qualify. Like even yeah. regionally, it's totally different. Dude, don't let that don't don't let that secret out, please. <laughs> yeah, Europeans can stay where they're at and, and just dominate with their sub nine hour finishes. And yeah, I mean, I've seen, I mean, you look at races like Barcelona and there's, there's, you know, 20 deep who are finishing under nine hours or something ridiculous like that. And, um, uh, yeah. So it, it's, it's insane. 
Uh, and these are amateur, not not professional yeah. triathletes. But uh, 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 it's just a different culture in a lot of places outside of America mm-hmm. that you know that they embrace the cycling, they embrace triathlon. It's 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 a bigger deal within their countries. Um, and you know, so so you know, we need to develop the sport a lot more in in the United States. Yeah, because I I I mean I've raced Wisconsin, you raced Wisconsin. I really thought that was an amazingly supported race, uh, and in France that was an amazingly so it felt like the Tour de France, like with mm-hmm. the support and all the little villages you go through. People would be lunching and and being with family just to watch you come by. And I've been lucky enough to only go to races like that in the Ironman world. And I don't know how I would feel going to some place where they just didn't care. Or I've heard, you know, in Louisville, they've in previous years thrown tacks and nails out because oh, yeah. the road had to get shut down. And you hear stories like that. And I don't know if that happens in Europe. And I don't know how often it happens here. I'm not saying it to be negative about the sport, but it does seem like even when you're training, if you're outside, depending on the area you are in, people don't get it. They don't seem to understand. And I really don't know how to change that. I wish we could figure it out, though. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's just it's one of those things where if people don't. I mean, and, and I think it comes down to people have their pre uh, preconceived notions about uh, about how people need to behave, and it needs to fit within their paradigm. And if somebody is not within the world of triathlon or cycling or anything like that, well, that doesn't fit within their paradigm. So somebody that's that's demonstrating that is. Or, or doing that on, on their own is, is uh, you know, considered, uh, uh, you know, it's not, not good for them or, or they're, they're unhappy with it because it gets in their way. It takes their, takes their weekend commute a little bit longer or, mm-hmm. or, or what have you. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's sad that that happens, but I do still think that that's a minority. It's just a very yeah. vocal minority of, of people. And, uh, but it's also a very vocal and dangerous minority. And, uh, um, you know, it's one of the reasons that if there's one, if one out of a hundred automobiles has a driver that's either a negligent or deliberately malicious, uh, well, that's a dangerous proposition for any cyclist out there because one out of every hundred cars is going to, uh, maybe accidentally swerve into them. And that's, I mean, that's a pretty common occurrence. Um, it's why I do all of my training indoors, except for maybe, uh, uh, once or twice during a season. Yeah. And then during the race, of course. And that's what I've done too. I train a hundred percent indoors. Uh, the only thing I do outside is brake checks <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> I have to descend because it, like that's everything else. I feel like I get back really quick on a race, but to descend confidently into turns, like you really do need to get out there and learn some bike handling. But yeah. I think you can do that in some controlled environments. It's it's not like the bulk of your training has to be, especially with smart trainers, which, again, I know that's cost prohibitive in a way, but you have to evaluate what is worth it to you. What do you really want out of it? And I will finish with this, with this question to you. A lot of the conversation we've had, I wanted it today to be around the cost prohibitive nature, some of the dangers we've covered, uh, the elite athlete is human. Don't be afraid of them. Uh, you are worth it too. What would you say to the person on the fence about like giving into the nudge that says, I want to try this triathlon thing out? Well, I, I would say, what's the harm? I mean, you know, what, what, what's the worst that can happen? And I would ask them to really, really dig deep and decide what they're afraid of, what they're concerned about, and, uh, and ask the questions. 
I would invite them to be vulnerable and and you know and and uh, engage with their local bike shop or another triathlete or, or somebody who's engaged within the sport because I remember when I first started my biggest when I decided to do an Ironman I didn't tell anybody except my wife for months because it was so ridiculous in my mind it was so out of the nature of what I should be doing. Um, that, uh, that why would I tell anybody and get laughed at? And, 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 and if I went up to a, a cyclist back then and they would, they would certainly look at me and say, Oh, really? No way. You can't do this. You shouldn't even be doing this. It's not safe for you. And I would be shamed, uh, shamed back into my, in, into my uh, cave where I would have to go wallow in self pity. The reality was though, that when I approached other triathletes, there's never been a more welcoming sport in this than, than this. And, and, Every nearly everybody that I've engaged with has been welcoming and supportive, and the ones that haven't are the really, really rare exceptions. They are out there, but they don't represent the sport. So if you're looking to get into it, ask the questions. Go out there and and just start trying something. Put put on a pair of running shoes. Uh, Google the Maffetone method. Uh, look up Mark Allen. Look up watch watch the old Ironman videos. Start getting inspired because if it's nudge. And you start watching other people who have achieved their dream, and you realize they're just like you and me. That nudge is going to be a a a requirement on yourself that you're going to put. Yeah. So get out there and do it. Yep. The uh, don't let the bike scare you, because no. uh, another great piece of information from Adam was, you look at the bikes they rode in the '80s, and you look at the bikes they ride now, and you look at the cost differential, and how much difference has that impacted their bike splits or their finishing time? from the eighties to now for the world record. Yeah, it's uh, literally like quite 1%, yeah. 2%. It's, it's not much. It's mm -hmm. all, it's still all about the engine. Yep. It's still all about the person riding the bike. So, uh, uh, that, that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you like it, if that motivates you, my shiv, my, it's not the most expensive triathlon bike in the world, but it's, it makes me run better off the bike. It's comfortable. And I look yeah. at it and I say, I want to ride you. Like I want to be on it. Like it's motivating. So the, the cost goes into the mental shift for me in some regards, yeah. why I still will always probably want to have a time trial bike versus There's just no question. Yeah. No, no question. Better equipment. Uh, uh, and not just more expensive equipment, just better equipment makes it more enjoyable, makes it feel better. And, and, you know, there's so many important aspects about that, that we would need to, you know, talk through even more, but, but, uh, uh, but all of these things add up to make what would regularly be seen impossible be possible. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we'll close with that. We will probably talk more about equipment in future episodes, but I will say this last quote that I realized, um, was a really big shifting point for me was the biggest mistake one of the biggest mistakes I've ever done is to listen to the people who told me I'd fail, whether that was myself or someone outside of myself. I listened to them. When I wanted to do something so badly, I believed that I would fail because I heard it, and nothing could be further from the truth because I attempted suicide in 2008, and had I succeeded, not one of the magical, amazing moments that happened 10 years later would have happened because I would have been done. Don't... <laughs> Look at what you think you can't do now. Look at what could be possible in the future. It will happen if you stop listening to the negative, disempowering voices in your life and in your head. 
and start listening to the empower, start listening to the fire that's in your chest that makes you want to do something better. So until next time, journey well, my friends. <laughs>